Yo, what's up, guys? JB here. Today is Saturday, the 22nd of December, 2012, almost 2013. And we are here for another round of our roundtable discussion podcast. Each time we do this, we allow you guys to ask questions, submit questions to us in the forums, and then we get to as many questions as we possibly can within each podcast. Uh, tonight, I am joined on this podcast by Mr. Andre Dick. Hello. Andre, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep. I awesome. So Andre, in addition to being uh, our VP of production here at Theory 11, is obviously a cardistry super ninja, as I wrote in the <laughs> prompt for this the post. But uh, so the questions tonight that you guys have asked have to do with Theory 11 projects. They have to do with new projects that we haven't even uh, released yet. And there's obviously plenty of questions about magic and cardistry and everything in between. So we are going to try to get to as many questions as we possibly can within this podcast. And that means we should probably get going uh, right now. Andre, are you ready? Yep, yep. Let's do it. Let's do this. Okay, so the first question I thought was a good question to start off with. Uh, it's from XCM Liker, post number five, and he's saying, why did you first start practicing magic or cardistry? So he's not asking how, which is, I guess, the mm-hmm. obvious question. He's asking why. So what was it uh, that started you, that inspired you, et cetera, to get started? Well, I think growing up and like coming from an, a family of acrobats, I really like art and motion. Uh, so my dad is an acrobat and he performs with Cirque du Soleil and I always wanted to have something that I wanted to do that's unique and so I picked up cardistry and I think uh, I inherited that from my family. Do you think that um, you know, growing up did you see your dad practicing you know, crazy gymnastic moves and stuff and that you kind of borrowed or duplicated that work ethic towards you know, practicing a move or something in cardistry? For sure, for sure, 100% everything. is It's a lot of things relate to it from the kind of passion and the work that goes into perfecting the craft. I, I love the aspect of that. Yeah. So I think that's uh, I, how I attribute you know, your uh, dexterity is to duplicating and kind of uh, borrowing your dad's work ethic towards gymnastics and applying that to a parallel art form, uh, you know, which is, I guess, gymnastics with your hands, which is kind of what cardistry is with hands and cards. For me, I saw um, David Copperfield um, come through my hometown here, Charleston, South Carolina. I was uh, five years old and his show was called Dreams and Nightmares, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the Dreams and Nightmares tour at the time. And I saw him there and uh, this was, you know, he was doing huge illusions and the fan and all these crazy, amazing things. And from that moment on, I wanted to be David Copperfield because to (laughs) me, it was like, I didn't want to be like him. I wanted to actually be him because (laughs) for me, it was like, you know, I, I couldn't sing and I wasn't interested in music. And this was like the equivalent. You could be a rock star just with this magic thing and I didn't really know That's what great. it was That's so you know from that point on I saw um, you know all the TV specials and it's got more and more hooked on it wanting to be that and that's what explains you know if, if anyone's seen uh, old vintage videos of me performing <laughs> you see uh, you know stage performing and that's what that's what I was interested in I was doing theater shows uh, I did my first theater show when I was 13 so that's definitely the route that I planned to be on um, and obviously you know th- Things are off in a different direction. Sometimes when you're on a journey, the destination can change. And obviously it did for me. And that's uh, how I got here. But it started with that that Copperfield show. Um, that's great. David's amazing. David is very, 
He's probably the most, no, <laughs> indefinitely the most accomplished magician in history. He's yeah, great. And well, it goes to his, you know, his work ethic. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that explains pretty much any, anyone that has that amount of success or, um, or in magic or otherwise. It's a work ethic. It's a dedication. It's willing to keep going when you're told no and mm-hmm. to uh, believe in yourself and have some vision. And then you fight for it and you, uh, you go for it. There's mm-hmm. a uh, to keep going here. There's a question post number six from Magic Cat, Magic Cat, um, and it's saying, "How would you describe your style of cardistry? How would you just describe that in words?" Um, I wouldn't. I'd probably show someone. <laughs> I'm not very good at describing what it is that I do. I'd rather just show it to them. Yeah, most but... of the time, I hear Andre describing <laughs> his cardistry. It sounds like this. <laughs> he likes to accent his uh, his moves with sound effects. Oh, that's my favorite part. I could answer the second question. Uh, how do you describe... Uh, how do you describe well, cardistry to layman? So if someone says, you know, if you like, hey, I do cardistry, I practice cardistry, what do you what do you say? Like, how do you explain what it is? Um, I guess I would say something like it's kind of like dancing uh, with hands and cards, basically, and then I'd, I'd show them. <laughs> and then we would hear the noises, and that's my way of explaining yeah, it. I, re- I really don't try to explain it to anybody rather than... Just rather show it to them. But yeah, uh, the non-magical manipulation of playing cards would be the real definition. But I really like that. It sounds too formal. So again, I'd rather just show it to them. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the formal definition, which I believe Richard Zadorozny, uh, who founded Decnique, um, that uh, is a great friend of ours, was he posted. And that was cardistry being the non-magical manipulation of playing cards uh, for purposes of art and entertainment versus uh, magic or mystery. Which is a great definition. It definitely explains that the purpose of cardistry is not to deceive you or to um, fool you. It is to you know allow you to appreciate the movements and the dexterity and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it seems like the best way to go. Um, keep going here. Post number eight from Supioman. Supioman. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it says, what is your favorite deck of all time? Uh, is there a Theory 11 deck, a non-Theory 11 deck? What is just your, your first thing that comes to mind, Andre, for your favorite deck? Either right side? now, indefinitely, uh, artisans, like, they're mesmerizing. They're so good looking. You, but you can't, like, pictures don't really do it justice until you really see that deck in real life. It's just incredible. And so, uh, for, uh, for me, it's a hard question because it's like, I think most people listening to this don't understand the process that goes into every deck that we do. So, for example, with Artisans, um, it's almost like, you know, I become jaded to the design because we started designing Artisans in October of 2011. October 2011 was the first time we had the meeting with a designer in South Africa who's named Simon. Um, And that was the first time we started it. And since then, you know, it's not been a all you know our sole focus, of course, for a year. But every week, for sure, we've knocked this thing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and improved it. And we hit it, and we hit it. And it's like if you if you take that process with anything, whether that is a magic routine you're doing or a flourish that you've been working on, if you do that with anything in your life, it's going to get you know you're going to polish it more and more. And that's what we did with artisans until. Um, actually, this is a funny story. So we had the original design of Artisans, and this was you know, maybe th- three, four months ago. And Andre, I don't know if you remember this, but we were experimenting with how is the best, what's the best way for us to execute this design? We love the design. What's, what's the best mm-hmm. way to execute it? And then as a fluke, um, me, 
uh, yours truly, not a you know, I, I'm a designer, but I'm not a professionally trained designer. I accidentally inverted something in mm-hmm. Photoshop. I inverted uh, some another draft uh, by accident. And then when I looked at it and we saw this beautiful starburst lines in, in black that were embossed on the front of the box as an effect, we said, wow, that would be really cool if we actually did embossed lines on the front of the, the box. So that was a fluke. And it was just this cool process because we went through this for a year and we kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it until it got shinier, shinier, more polished until it is what it is today. So yeah, I think I agree with you. That's the, at the moment, that's my favorite one we've done just because it's kind of it sounds like it's obvious, like, oh, you're always going to love the most recent thing you've done. It's your, but right. what we did, we learned from everything we've done before, uh, from Guardians, the first deck we've ever done, to Monarchs, um, uh, which is, you know, previously our signature deck and still is. We've taken all the things that we've learned from those sorts of things, and we use that to improve in every single deck that we do. So I think artisans reflect that. They reflect, you know, the education that we uh, went through ourselves and improved every single thing. So my, yeah, our goal is for sure for every single product we, we touch to be better than the last. That's definitely the, the idea. But uh, I, yeah, so long story short, I agree. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's keep going. Um, this changes everything. Domo, question number nine. This is an easy question. What happened to Dimitri's release? I'll let Andre take that one. Oh man, it's still happening. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in progress. Is the answer, exactly. right? Michael is still working on it. I'm still working on it. We're working on it every single day. But it's a huge, huge project. I think we had uh, over seven hours worth of footage from two different cameras. So I mean, it's a huge, huge process to get something like that done, especially a flourish DVD because uh, there's just so many moves, and you have to think of it. If there's 15 moves and two different camera angles, and you're doing every single segment from two different points of views. Uh, it's just, it gets crazy. Not to mention the trailer, the feature, the DVD, artwork, all that is, is very, very intense. So that'll, that'll still take a while, but we're still working on it. We haven't forgotten about it. Uh, yeah, it's a massive project. It's not, you know, if, if we've done Flourish projects and Cardistry projects with, um, and not to name names, Andre Jig, um, but Genesis was a massive undertaking that took months and months and months. Um, solo, uh, Michael James project was also a large undertaking, but not as big. We with with uh, Solo, we focused on I think it was eleven moves uh, around around that range. So it was it was it was a specific moves that we honed down uh, to fit into the, this one DVD project. Genesis was. 30 you know something moves it was it was a lot more than that so it was a jam-packed so long story short it's still in the works absolutely um and look for that sometime over the next few weeks slash months um post number 12 from cash dw uh, he's asking do you have anybody or has somebody inspired you to create or who inspires you to create what 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 uh inspires your creative process and helps improve things um, specifically speaking, uh, the cardistry community, guys like Dimitri, uh, Michael, James, uh, Jonas, Spencer Clark, they're all um, very talented guys. I love the videos that they put out, and that generally really inspires me to just try to create something and push myself. Those guys are amazing. Um, outside of cardistry, what inspires you? Is there any specific art, other art form? Is there a related art form? Is there a, uh, something else that, that you, gives you inspiration? Yeah, uh, just I love the 
kind of the geniuses at work, like Homer Leewag, Larry Fong, Joseph Kahn, Chris Kenner at work. At, like they're, these guys are just amazing with everything they do from, you know, filmmaking to photography, their whole general process inspires me that kind of work ethic. And, you know, it's great. It's great to see them. Uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not creating cardistry moves, <laughs> but, uh, for me, it's for, I, I always get inspiration from two things. One is either unrelated art forms, things that have absolutely nothing in the more distant from magic, the better. Um, yeah. And then I try to apply those things. So if I see a great movie, I'll say like, all right, how do you apply? What was great about that movie? And how do I apply that to, yeah. uh, you know, everything I'm doing, whether that's a video we're editing or is it a new deck of cards we're creating? Is it a trick that we're working on? And then the other thing that helps me is, uh, is fighting. Um, and we, we just, our, <laughs> with our, our team, you know, we, we don't fight fight, but creatively we always do. Um, we're always battling and trying to, you know, if, if Andre works on a video, he'll show it to me. And then it's always a process of hitting things and hitting things and hitting things until they get better and better. Um, all of us on this team have ridiculously high standards for design and photography and uh, everything that we do about the project, but working together as a team, it's about, you know, getting everybody's input and trying to take any, um, suggestions for making something better or more polished and incorporating that. And so the result is when you have this environment where you have lots of constructive feedback going constantly, um, and we're our own worst critics. And that's also, you know, we've got, uh, friendships with people and, you know, J Jason England, for example, um, has many different uh, creative differences and style differences and what he, what kind of movies he likes versus the movies I like but I'm able to talk to him and we're able to soak in those feedback um, that feedback from people that have different beliefs and different um, styles and different preferences than ours and the result is and it influences us it inspires me um, so uh, I think that's interesting and also um, there's a small group of, of people I like to talk to outside of our team um, that I'll show projects to and I just know that they're very critical people and extremely critical and uh, I know that going in so I'm not offended when they have some you know vicious criticism but hearing that like you know hearing the devil's advocate um, criticism or hearing a, a very constructive criticism from from uh, from people helps me because it, it allows me to to, to see a project and every possible negative yeah it puts, puts things in perspective right and right. it's a it's a very rigorous process but the end result is amazing correct so. it's like building a boat and you think the boat is solid and it's like it's waterproof and then you know you show it to someone else like actually there's like 47 holes in it right there you can see a little bit <laughs> and like okay i didn't know and you can't see that sometimes yourself and so it's, it's helpful to have someone so if you're practicing magic if you're practicing cardistry if you're doing anything it's good to have a bouncing board someone to bounce ideas off of to tell you you know even if you disagree with them just listening to other opinions um or if you sh if you're practicing a magic routine you know what's wrong with that what do you think people's worst criticism what would be of that what do you think cynical people would say if they saw me doing this magic trick or this cardistry move what do you think does it look bad does it look rough all that kind of stuff is very helpful um, so that's what inspires me. <laughs> People battling with me is what inspires me and uh, other art forms, music, movies, all that. Um, speaking of music and movies or anything else, is there anything, question uh, 13 from RL, what else are you passionate about besides cardistry? Um, I'd say movies, filmmaking process, uh, production, uh, direction, but in general, I think the learning process, I love learning new things and applying them uh, to everything I do in life. It's a, um, 
Yeah. For um, sure. Post number 15, keeping going here, is Inflames33 from Ohio. So he's in Ohio, and he asked a question that relates to Ohio. And he says, <laughs> what was it like packing all of those decks of artisans so that the release or shipping wouldn't be as delayed? Um, this is from Michael Anspash. Anspash? Um, so Michael, uh, for people unaware, we had issues with uh, <laughs> monarchs. People, I mean not monarchs, artisans. For people unaware of the situation, uh, the decks were finished, the boxes were finished, but because of the thickness, how this nice ultra lux- luxury black paper that we used for artisans, uh, the machines at Bicycle were having trouble folding the boxes so that the cards could be inserted. Uh, the boxes were done, the cards were done, but they were, their machines, which were very quick, uh, you can watch a behind-the-scenes video that we produced that shows uh, the exact process at Bicycle on Bicycle's YouTube channel, but the machines that normally insert cards into boxes at a rate of like 10 decks per second, it's crazy. But for, for artisans, those machines, because our paper was like thicker or stiffer or whatever, were choking. The machines would not run it. They would crush the box. They would just jam up. And so this this happened for several days. And long story short, uh, it kept happening for several days. And at a certain point, we didn't want to keep our members, you guys listening to this, waiting. So we did uh, probably what no one else would have done, which was we sent our whole team to Cincinnati and we got dirty. We uh, had a hotel room. We had a hotel room. We picked up thousands of boxes from from us playing card we brought the boxes back to the hotel room we stayed up all night um, and andre and uh, bryant and michael james uh, folded boxes of artisans until their hands were literally blistered and raw um it was <laughs> yeah we were like we were like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. We were like in our, in our little grotto for like three days. So it was not fun. If uh, if Michael's asking what was it like, it was not fun. But was it necessary? Yes, because the alternative was to keep you guys waiting. Um, and uh, that's not to say we don't believe that our members are very understanding. Um, but this is the holidays. Some of you guys had purchased these for Christmas presents for your friends. And we knew that waiting wasn't an option. I was actually out of the country at the time. So, uh, I wasn't able to go to Cincinnati, which I felt bad about, but Andre was there and Bryant was there and Michael was there. They, they literally jumped on the next flight. They rented a car. They picked up these things from bicycle and they just made it happen, which I think is a good, um, inspiring story for, you know, when people tell you, you can't do something or it can't be done or you're gonna have to wait not taking no for an answer just going out and doing it yourself um, no matter what and that's what we did we picked up the boxes we folded them um, we were ready to do anything and even if it wasn't fun we did it and we made it through and obviously the the um, light was very bright at the end of that tunnel and I'm sure Andre was very ready to leave uh, Cincinnati at the end of um, so here we go. So Andre, this is asking about practicing post number 16 from Kevin Kapanos. And he's saying, when you practice, is it more of a meditation where you turn your brain off and you let your hands go? Or is there some sort of concentration going on where you get every finger movement, right? Um, mm-hmm. what is your practice regimen? Like? When, when I'm, when I'm trying to learn a specific move, it's obviously going every, with, you know, every motion step by step. But if it's just generally practicing, trying to get my hands kind of warmed up and, ready to go, I, I would just kind of turn my brain off and put maybe put a cool soundtrack on and just, you know, jam on it. So it just depends. 
Um, I'm going to keep going here, and there's, there's a lot more questions, so I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm just trying to get to as many questions as possible. Um, here's one that's saying, um, where, where do you, this is post number 24 from Marins 33. Where do you see Theory 11 and Cardistry in five years? So if you were to make a prediction um, or best guess, where do you see this, our whole community or specifically Cardistry is what he's asking um, in five years from right now? Hmm. Theory 11, I'm not sure. Hopefully, hopefully doing the same stuff we're doing now, more and more, bigger, more of it. But cardistry in general, I'm not sure. I, I hope to see uh, communities propping up in different countries. Like I know we're having uh, a huge community being established in India. Um, a lot of people coming from Singapore, uh, China, uh, Russia. That's actually a, a new one. So hopefully, in a few years, we'll have maybe tens of thousands of people doing this. Because right now, I'm sure we only have maybe less than ten thousand, maybe less than five thousand. But in five years, it's kind of growing exponentially. So hopefully in five years, we'll have a lot of people kind of getting together and making small little communities of their own where they can go outside and you know, meet up with their friends and pick up a deck of cards and jam. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, I would probably, I think you're underestimating the size of the cardistry community right now. I think there's... Most likely. Yeah, most likely. I'm being very in terms of people that are really, really practicing and ser- practicing and serious about it, then yeah, maybe uh, in the five to ten thousand range. But I think there's a lot more people that you'd be surprised of that's true. You know, that's true. that have they know a few moves, they like to practice a few things. They're magicians that happen to like you know that know ten flourishes that they use, which is all fine. I think um, my prediction would be very similar to yours, but I think. Um, this isn't. I don't think it's uh, too much of a outside the box prediction to say. I mean, cardistry is definitely taking more of a hold um, in the world and more recognition than it ever has before. Just last month, Andre, you flew to Maryland and did this whole commercial with the Maryland Lottery using cardistry that's running God knows how many times a day in Maryland right now. And there's mm-hmm. you know, a new movie coming out called Now You See Me that they're using uh, Monarchs in the movie, but Dan and Dave uh, were hand doubles in, in this movie that sh- I'm sure sh- are showing some uh, some cardistry moves. So I think it's getting more and more of a, a place in, in people are, are being more and more exposed to it. And I'm hopeful that it will continue to be that way. There's a one more question I'm guessing is towards me because he wrote my name on it. So when you started Theory 11, were you unhappy with other magic companies? Um, ooh, drama. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, I was um, president of Illusionist, um, which is another magic company for many, many years. I started working there when I was in seventh grade. I used to stay inside during recess um, and answer support tickets. And I went from uh, kind of a tech support guy at Illusionist to uh, producing projects for them. And then, you know, eventually I was president of Illusionist and uh, I resigned as president of Illusionist in 2007. And uh, Theory 11 launched uh, several months later in August of 2007. So did that launch out of an unhappiness with other magic companies? Uh, maybe it was, I think it was more so a desire of myself of a different vision. Um, that was not the same vision that I was pursuing or we were pursuing when I was at um, said other magic companies. But that's not to say, you know, um, I think the results, I guess, speak for themselves. You're up, open for interpretation of what your own preferences are. But we had a different vision um, that was definitely more 
I believe, focused on unity and rallying together the magic community, working together as an alliance of artists. And I think that's what we've that achieved, especially with new things we've done, like The Wire and et cetera, which is banding together the magic community, uniting behind something as a common purpose and creating and innovating and doing new things. Um, and that's, that's what inspired me. Um, there's some great, great questions by Hop. OO21, uh, what's your name? What's your favorite color? I'm Jonathan, and my favorite color is black. Moving right <laughs> along. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, on average, Andre, from uh-huh. Magic Mike 1221, how long does it take to master an average cardistry move for you? So these days, or these weeks, or these months, or these years, what do you think is the average for a new move that you're either learning or creating? Uh, that's a tough question. I know that when I started, and I literally used to put in uh, six to 12 hours every single day for at least four years. That took me probably a few weeks to maybe a month or two for some moves to like get them really right. But there has to be a certain waiting period for each move between when you practice it and then you kind of leave it, that waiting period, and then come back to it. Because once you plateau, you kind of have to leave the move. And then once you come back to it, maybe that's a few days later, a week later, or a month later, you'll be so much better at it. I don't know why it works that way, but it does. So back then, you know, again, a few weeks to a month. But now, because I have, I guess, a base, a large foundation on the moves that I've kind of learned over the years, over a decade, I, I, I think moves come to me a little easier because I try to have kind of more or less a quirky style and I try to do everything. Uh, it it's, takes a lot less, but again, it depends. I kind of have the deck in my hands throughout the entire day, and so I'll be messing around with it. But if I had to put it in quantitative terms, I'd probably say mm, two to three days, maybe, to do it really well. I think at this point, yeah, you've got maybe the best word for it is like a vocabulary of exactly, all these exactly. different and so you can build upon that vocabulary um, very easily by using combinations of those things. Sure, there's going to be moves that are not in that alphabet so far, and those are the moves that are going to take you longer to do. But the bigger you, know, you can create as that foundation, the easier it is to, well, the easier it's going to be to create and and learn new things. Mm-hmm. Um, post number thirty one from Carl Stanley. Um, I thought this is a good question. I wanted to answer it because I think it's important. Why should we publish our material at Theory 11 and not somewhere else? Why should we publish our material at Theory 11 and not somewhere else? Um, So I had two answers to this that I was thinking. Um, Obviously, there's two methods of publishing something at Theory 11. One is projects that we produce, and we produce things often, and we always have 10 projects, 15 projects in production at once. And we also created The Wire, which is an independent platform where anyone can publish their own effects in a marketplace of magic and cardistry. And you can submit things uh, very quickly. Within days, usually, they get approved. And you then make a royalty based on sales every month. And it's an instant way for you to get a massive audience. Um, And that's been amazing as well. We have over 1,200, 1,300 registered artists with active accounts on The Wire. in either way, though, what's important, I think, is the distinction of why Theory 11 is different. It's not just a marketplace, and when we produce a project, we're not just producing the video. We're doing a lot more than that. There's projects that get, there's effects that get submitted to us, and the first, I mean, it's, it, our, our process starts in the first time we see it. Um, it's not one person on our team that just says, okay, we'll do that project, and we'll fly this person in, and we'll film it. Usually, the project gets submitted to us, 
um, someone like Dan White uh, or myself will see it first. It gets passed along our team and everyone comments on it. This is all done privately, but everyone has their own you know, comments on it, suggestions on it, etc. And we really do take our time and improving each thing. So it's really breathtaking sometimes to see a project that comes in through our front door and then to see what it looks like when we finish with it, when it's done, sometimes it's a, almost a totally different trick. And that's not to say that what it started as was not good. It's just, you know, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, anytime you hit something and hit something and hit something and polish it more and more and more, it gets better and better. So having a collective of really experienced minds, um, even myself excluded, looking at each effect and offering suggestions, improvements, etc., it only gets better. And I think that's a really significant point of what we do different than any other company because no one else goes through that process, certainly to the extent that we do, almost to a fault. Sometimes we, you know, take months for us to to wrap up a project because we know it's just not there yet it's almost there we can feel it or we're getting close or we have to find some special material that we need to pursue it but um yeah definitely to definitely to a fault but it's in a good way as an end result we want it to be perfect and we want it to be something that you know both us and the artists that created the effect are going to be proud of for a decade to come. And that's not just the video, which obviously we want it to be great, and the instructional quality, which we want to be perfect, but the actual idea itself. We don't want you know them to say, come up with a better version a month later and say, ah, oh, you know what, I kind of wish I would have waited to publish that because it wasn't ready yet. We want to make sure it's ready and it's perfect and it's in the prime condition. So that's something that you know we might not always get right, but that's the goal and that's something that's different. Um, I'll keep going here. Um, this is a question that I think is has a lot of disparity between Andre and myself. It's from Blue Sin, post number 34. How long do you usually use one deck of cards? <laughs> oh, man. Where do I start? What's your answer? <laughs> I don't actually know that because I've kept cards literally since I was like 11. Uh, I still have decks since I was literally 11. This is like 12, 13 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really have like a preferable condition. I mean, I, I have a, a, like a sweet spot for them, but generally I don't care. When I started, I did. I, I, I liked old beat up cards because they made moves a little easier. But kind of as I learned more and more uh, and it started to expand, you notice that you should be able to kind of do things with no matter what the deck condition is like. So if anyone ever comes up to you and, and, or you're at a party and someone has a deck of cards and maybe you forgot, you can always do a certain set of, of moves with, you know, depending on the deck condition. So I remember when Jonathan used to live here in Vegas, he used to, <laughs> he'll use a deck for maybe, I don't know, a week or two. Uh, actually less than that. Usually but I, I'm, talk, I'm talking about light use. I'm not talking about anything like intense. Maybe, I mean, he'll pick up a deck, he'll hold it, he'll do a few spreads, maybe a fan or two, in the course of those two weeks or a week and a half. And then he'll just throw it away in the trash. In the trash can. And then that same day, I'll literally, I dug through his trash and found those cards and used them for like years. So, I have no limit. I will use anything you give me. I think Andre answered it pretty truthfully. I like to use a deck of cards until the point where it no longer really fans anymore. At the point where, because I'm doing mostly magic, Andre's doing mostly cardistry. Cardistry, you can do lots of things when the deck doesn't fan at all anymore. 
uh, magic, it's hard to tell someone to pick a card if you can't fan it out well. So usually I like to use the deck up to that point where it becomes really rough to fan. The edges start to get discolored. That's where Andre kind of likes it to start because it's not as slippery. Now, but John, wait, John, this, is, this is important. This is important. <laughs> There's a guy. His name is Dimitri Olary. <laughs> he came in town to film a project with us called Monument that's coming soon. And he showed us the most disgusting deck of cards. I never even, I could never even before this describe a deck of cards as disgusting. Like, imagine everyone listening to this, what's the you know, oldest deck you've got in your possession? Maybe the edges are a little bit dark. Maybe it doesn't fan well. You know, whatever. Maybe it's missing some cards. No, 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 no. I have decks. I have decks still from when I was mm, 13, 14 years old. I found them a few weeks ago in my old magic stuff. So that's over a decade old. Those cards were not in great condition, but they were darker. They didn't fan well, etc. Dimitri had fungus and like <laughs> organisms living on this deck of cards. It was green in some spots. It had flaky not stuff on it. Not exaggerated. It's not exaggerated at all. Like honestly, it looks like you, you couldn't even wash the deck. You would need like uh, what do you call it? Um, that some sort of cream or lotion to fix these. Like it needs to dunk the entire deck of cards in Lysol to disinfect it before you threw it away just because it might be like a biohazard to trash men. <laughs> I think if you wait a few more weeks, those cards would turn maybe into like cheese, blue cheese. No, they would turn into like a small, that's how like the earth got started was off of like bacteria like that. And then it would spawn like a men in black little microchasm of a world. <laughs> anyway, so who wins the award for liking the the junkiest decks is Dimitri or Larry. Definitely yeah. make fun of him for that next time you guys talk to him or post on his Facebook. Um, <laughs> there's a question here, moving right along, talking about disgusting decks. Uh, from Feel It, post number 38. Uh, big fan of Theory 11. Thank you. Very uh, grateful for the support. Does all of the content on The Wire make you proud to be a part of it? Yes. All of the content collectively, I would say, makes me proud to be a part of it. We're allowing anyone who has an idea to distribute their idea and to share it with the world. Does that mean I'm proud of every you know, do I love every effect that's on the wire? No, definitely not. That's not the purpose of it. Uh, the purpose is to provide an independent marketplace. So if you imagine any marketplace, let's say it's a fruit marketplace, you're not going to like every fruit that that marketplace sells either. But you know, each, the, but that, that's great. Someone else might like that. So our goal when we are judging the content on the wire is to be fair we have you know, some three established rules. It's to make sure that uh, content is high quality. So we're having a certain quality level. That doesn't mean everything has to be Theory 11 quality, 1080 PhD, but we wanna make sure the instruction is actually teaches it properly. Um, it's not something that you can't learn. Um, and then thirdly, we do our best uh, to make sure the content is actually original. It's not something that's an obvious thing that's been done before um, and published in 10 places. We're never going to be 100% right on that, but we have you know, several people on a judging panel, Andre included, who watch these um, every submission on the wire. We spend hours a day going over this stuff, every new submission. And we try to use our best judgment of, of, of deciding on those three grounds, originality, um, uh, quality 
and just overall, I guess, uh, creative impact. We want to make sure yeah. this is something that's, that's good. So does it, long story short, is everything that we love, everything on the wire going to be your favorite? No, it's definitely not. It's an independent marketplace. Anyone can publish something on it as long as it follows some basic rules. It's original, it has decent quality, et cetera. Yeah, and to quickly chime in, well, we've, we've accepted some things that perhaps are not great quality from a video production standpoint, but they're great ideas and they're fleshed out ideas. And some people are, they don't have have or are not uh, like familiar or they don't have any kind of video production tools available to them perhaps in the country they live in or the situation they're in but sometimes they have great great ideas but in contrast we also rejected some some great production value videos but the ideas may not have been so strong so in generally speaking we, we look for a, a, an effect or a submission that is the complete and total package but um, what we count most is content content that's king and it always will be yeah, it's in. I think that's everyone listening to this has to be realistic when we're dealing with a marketplace. It's just like uh, open up iTunes or Spotify on your computer. Do you like every song that's on iTunes? Absolutely not. I like like uh, seven songs on iTunes, but uh, <laughs> out of millions. <laughs> but all the songs are songs. Some of them I hate. Some of them I think are bad songs on iTunes. But that's the point of it. Everyone has different tastes. Everyone has different styles. Our goal is to uphold certain minimum standards. That's what we do. Um, But that's not meaning you know everyone's going to like every single thing that we do or publish on the wire. You're not supposed to. Um, But as a platform, it's amazing. It's inspiring to give everyone the opportunity to, if you have a great idea, to get it in front of you know a platform where thousands of magicians around the world will see it every day. And you know we've got artists on the wire that sell hundreds or thousands of units um, of a, a new effect that they created, and this is someone that you might not have even heard of last week, and that's inspiring and that's amazing because before the wire that did not exist. So that's what I'm proud of. Um, Michael James, uh, <laughs> our creative director, posted uh, post number forty for Andre and myself, saying is if there was some sort of fusion between America and Russia sort of a um, rush America, if you will, would you move to said country? Well, of course I will. It is uh, your mother Rush America. It, it, it is my calling. In the, in the Rush America, you do not move to country. Country moves the country to you. Country moves to you, yes. Uh, and a question for me that Michael's asking, what are your tro- thoughts on tropical animals, specifically baby sloths? I've not met any baby sloths, Michael James. Uh, but I did play with uh, some toucans <laughs> last week, and I like toucans. Um, so let's keep going here. I'm reading uh, a post now from Tim um, Silva. Uh, his post number is 44. 44. Um, how often do you create new moves, and who do you share them with first? Oh, man. I create moves maybe once or twice a week. I try to for the sake of creating them. Sometimes they, they're not great and sometimes they're really bad, but I do that for the sake of creating and for the sake of kind of keeping my mind fresh. And uh, I like setting restrictions on myself, kind of maybe a limitation, uh, because having my mind be open to roaming anywhere at once, I kind of generally, anybody would, uh, sway towards one direction where they're comfortable. I try to stay as uncomfortable as possible. If I'm comfortable, then I'm doing something wrong. I have to move on. So I, I do create for the sake of creating. Uh, how, how often do I create like great moves, uh, subjectively speaking? What I find great for me, maybe, maybe once or twice a month I try, but it doesn't always happen. 
Um, there's a post here for me that's saying, uh, there's actually two questions in here that I'll answer. Ivensor, post number 45, what is Theory 11's role in the magic uh, or cardistry community? Um, for me, I see our, our role as to not be you know the only people or the people that are innovating in 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 doing something like that in the industry i see us as if anyone people that are hopefully leading the community you guys in the right direction because it's the community that's actually going to you know make the difference it's it's the people that are inspired by the things we do and that then do things on their own and and create things yourselves you guys listening to this they're actually going to be the future of magic the future of cardistry so i see our role and our responsibility is to um is to uphold that is to inspire you guys to challenge you guys to um, provide for you guys the right tools and creative inspiration and all that kind of stuff to inspire you to create things, inspire you to you know pursue your own goal in magic or cardistry, whatever that may be, and to be there for you guys in that in that uh, capacity. So whether that's advice and and podcasts like this or tricks that you need to perform if you're doing wanting to be a professional magician, you know, providing you the tools and the resources. Um, and just being there um, as a kind of a, you know, growing up, I never had a magic shop nearby me. I grew up, there was no magic shop in, in an hour and a half away. So I had no one to bounce ideas off of, to learn things from. So I see our, uh, our community and Theory 11 in particular as that support network for people um, to learn things and have people to, they can ask questions to, like we're doing right now. So that's the short answer of that. And then uh, the other a uh, question here. It says, what have you learned on your trips to Copperfield Island? Uh, can you share more about those <laughs> trips? Uh, no, I can't. Uh, I was, no, I, I'm, uh, I'm assuming uh, I Vencer saw the picture I posted on our Instagram or Facebook last week. Uh, David's Island uh, is, for me, two things. It is, um, well, first off, for people unaware, David Copperfield has, he doesn't have an island. He has 11 islands um, that are in the Bahamas. It's in the Exumas. It's called Mushaki. Um, Key is spelled C-A-Y, like K. I have no idea why. So if you go to Musha, M-U-S-H-A-C-A-Y.com, Musha K, Musha Key, uh, you can see what it is. And for me, going there every time, uh, since the second time I've been there, was two things. One, it is unbelievably uh, humbling to me because I'm, I'm there with the guy that inspired me to start all of this, not Theory 11, but magic, anything. Uh, was when I was five years old and I saw him come through my hometown. So being on the same um, you know, plot of land as that person, to me, is very um, humbling. And the other thing is, it's very inspiring to me because when you see um, this a beautiful place, um, it's, it's an island, it's, a, you know, it's 600 acres of beaches and stuff, to me, um, knowing that all of that started with a kid in New Jersey um, who didn't have much, did not come from a wealthy family, did not have a you know mentor that gave him the keys to the, some kingdom, um, that started with a kid in New Jersey from Metuchen, New Jersey, and now you know he has his dream created that this 600 acre you know thing that he now has. So for me, that's inspiring because it shows the uh, result 
the you know obviously an extreme result of work ethic and uh, pursuing your dream. And so this is you know David Copperfield is now you know whatever the uh, most successful solo entertainer of all time according to Guinness World Records and whatever. But he started with as a kid in New Jersey with a crazy big dream of being you know, a magician and a famous magician. Uh, his family, some people in his family told him he couldn't do it. Certainly you know, hundreds of people in the industry, in the entertainment industry, told him he couldn't do it. And not only did he do it, but now he has a freaking island. <laughs> so, uh, so to me, that's inspiring to see like, you know, this is a guy that was told no, and now you know, you're standing on this dirt on this beach that, you know, I, it, it's crazy to, for the concept of a human can own an island to me. It's, it's, it's funny, but it's inspiring. It's inspiring uh, more than anything to see a tangible result of hard work and passion, you know, incarnate. So that's, that's to me what, uh, what it is. But the island itself, asking about it, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's the same level of precision, detail, and, uh, and, and passion that David puts into his stage shows applied to a resort type experience. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, here's a post uh, for Andre, um, post number 47, Khan Dan. And he says, do you think there'll ever be a day when no one uh, can invent any more cardistry? Is, is, there a, is there a day when no new moves can, every move will already have been invented? No. <laughs> no, well, that's won't. a long answer. Can you give us a short summary of that answer? Hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I agree with you. It's, it's like saying you know, it can no one's ever stopped inventing skateboard moves. No one's ever stopped invent. That's like saying just because there's millions of songs on iTunes, is there a point where just every melody's been done before? And there's, there's the answer is obviously no. You can always it, there's no. There's, yeah. there's no discovered limitation to human creativity, at least not yet, with enough passion and all that kind of stuff applied, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, for Andre, um, is there ever going to be another addition to the Genesis series anytime soon? Asks SRT4, post number 48. Will there be one? Yes. Anytime soon? Probably not. I'm, I'm trying hard to work on it, but uh, it's just such a massive undertaking. Uh, and I shot a bunch of, actually I shot all of the Genesis series, volume three, all the moves. But uh, I think I shot that three or four years ago. It was a long time ago. And over that course of time, I've improved certain moves. I've invented new moves that I want to add to it. And generally, I learned a, a lot in the production process, how I can streamline everything. I can shoot it better, light it better. So I decided to, I think it was a few months ago, I decided to scrap the whole thing and to start from scratch, literally reshoot the whole thing. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And I have yet to do that. But the moves list is all there. And I'm very passionate about getting it done. It's just a really huge undertaking. We're currently in the process of a, a, you know, a bunch of other projects that we're working on. So I'll certainly get to it, but not anytime soon, I don't, I don't think. This is a great question from Salsa, post number 66. Uh, it's a second question. Andre, this is a great question for you. Um, he's saying the production quality of Theory 11 is always over the top. Uh, do you have any tips for a low-budget teenager? So if someone, I don't know what he's uh, asking this in reference to. Might be creating a you know a video, of his, a free video for YouTube. It could be a you know video on the wire um, for for any for any any kind of general purpose. What would be your advice uh, for a low-budget teenager, quote unquote? 
Well, generic advice would be to never make excuses for yourself. There will always be a method. There will always be a way to get it done and to make it look good no matter what it is you're doing. But specifically speaking, if you're talking about, say, editing and shooting and lighting, then I would go to Home Depot or maybe Walmart and buy yourself uh, these $5 aluminum like cone lights. I think they're like work work lights and uh, they're was were they fluorescent or incandescent? Uh, I don't, halogen, right? Work lights. Halogen, halogen. It work lights. Yeah, you could. Those are I think five hundred watts. Those are huge. You don't have to buy those. But these little aluminum bolt ones, they're like shaped like cones. And what you want to do is uh, you want to bounce them so you can go to Walmart or just get a, a white foam core piece of paper or a, a kind of like what you do you know, school projects with those uh, poster boards, those white poster boards. And you want to shine the light directly onto the poster board and you want to have that light bounce. You want to use every, everything should be a bounce for the most part. That would create uh, soft shadows. And remember, light and shadows are your friend. You don't always have to fill everything with light. Uh, shadows are also your friend and you can make things look really good with uh, uh, shadows as well. And I, I stress lighting so much because so much of what an image looks good is is due to lighting it's not because of some kind of crazy camera you have you can make anything look good uh, as long as long as you know a thing or two about lighting so if you can if you have time go to go to blogs uh, google's your friend check everywhere you can about lighting techniques and uh get involved with uh kind of the big the bigger aspect and, and also I, I i see a lot of videos that are not clean not in a technical sense but Maybe you can see something in the background or they're filming their feet or like there's socks everywhere. It, it takes two seconds to clean all that stuff up and clean up your shot. Uh, it's, it's something a lot of people don't pay attention to, but um, that, that goes a long way. And uh, composition, framing, uh, look at your angles. Don't always go for the most obvious one. Don't always go for a crazy one either. Go for one that you think would help uh, your viewer be most interested in and also get the most out of as far as learning the moves goes. So if you keep all of that stuff in mind, it doesn't have to be this, uh, you don't have to have like a crazy you know, wealth of knowledge about all these topics. But if you're at least cognizant and aware of all of them as you're doing them, bit by bit, the more you do them, uh, the, the better you'll get. So keep, keep doing them, keep making videos, keep practicing. Ditto. <laughs> no, I agree with everything Andre said uh, in concept. I think the most important thing he said was the first thing he said, which was no excuses. Um, you know, there's a, it's a, you'd be amazed if you saw some of the coolest and most well-produced things that we've done, and coolest and most well-produced things you've seen in general, um, and what the actual behind the scenes of those things look like. Not as pretty, not as glitzy, not as glamorous as you'd think. There's plenty of videos that you might regard as some of the most well-produced things we've ever done that were shot with Home Depot lights and wrapped in tinfoil, pointed at a wall. Um, you know, with but knowing the process, it, it the having the vision matters way more than having the tools. Like Andre said, there's no excuse. I mean, you have seen incredible videos before that were shot with iPhones. Um, and amazing videos that were shot with flip cameras. So it's not the equipment, it's, it's what your vision is and what your creative vision is and, and your dedication to achieving that. And you can do that regardless of what materials or what you have access to. It might be easier if you have the nicest camera in the world or if you have this, but it will not make it automatic. There's plenty of absolutely horrible videos that I've seen um, every day on YouTube that are not magic related, but just bad videos in general. But I'll, the, the 
picture quality is great <laughs> just the concept is you know is bad so it it's it has to be a, a some some dichotomy you have to have the vision you have to have the creativity and if you have to have some sort of instrument as a tool but a camera is just a tool it's the weapon um, if you gave me a ninja sword i would have no idea how to use it and i would not be able to chop off uh, a banana in half but if you give you know a samurai sword a toothpick a samurai ninja a toothpick he can do incredible things with it and probably cut your head off so you have to you have to know what your materials are you have to know your tools and know your craft and you can do that with anything um i think that goes for magic and you know, video stuff i mean i've seen incredible entertainers um uh, there's a magician named Derek Delgadio and helder garmeas um, who are performing right now at the geffen uh, playhouse in la and their tool is a deck of cards they are doing card tricks um, and that's not a knock against them at all. It's actually incredible. They are, you know, getting these incredible reviews from the LA Times, from LA Weekly, New York Times, and everywhere in between. The show is produced by Neil Patrick Harris, but it is a show where they are performing card tricks to 100 people or so at a time, um, and it's getting rave reviews. So it's showing that even with this basic object that all of us have in our hands, they're creating something that's that's amazing. It's well reviewed and it's different, and uh, it's 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 inspiring of seeing stuff like that. So I think that's a good example of of you know it's it's not about the tools; it's about what you do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's try to take one final question here. That was uh, a good thing to end on, and uh, that was a question. I believe. Let's see which post number is it. It is post number. Uh, 70 from Cardwell 146. Where would you like to see Cardistry go in the future? This is not saying where do you think it will go in the future, but where would you like it to go in the future for magic, for Cardistry, for anything? Hmm. I would like to see, I would like to see a use of more technology. I think the world is advancing and we have to embrace it. Uh, to be specific, uh, some of the tricks or the effects we've put out, like uh, I predict and uh, the Rising Card app, those all use uh, a phone, like phones, phone technology, and they're, and they're great because they're embracing the use of technology, but not in such a way that kind of makes your audience question and doubt and, and gives them a reason, but in a way that makes sense. Like you use your phone to make a call and to, to do this effect. It would make sense to use your phone to make phone calls. And so it totally makes sense when you see a phone uh, do what it does, like the effects that we've put out. So I, I love to see the fusion between technology and magic. I'm not necessarily sure how that applies with cardistry, but uh, I don't know. I've yet to see that. Um, so yeah, sorry. The question is asking, uh, where would you like to see magic go in the future? And he's asking specifically, more or less, technology. So technology's has always had a very um, close relationship with magic. This goes back to you know Alexander. Um, ask Alexander um, having. Uh, a you know hearing devices and listening to people and and, and such. Um, so magic has always been closely tied to technology. Robert Houdin, if you've ever seen the movie Hugo, you'll see these amazing clocks and mystery clocks. David Copperfield has a lot of those in his collection in uh, in Las Vegas. So magicians have always been savvy towards technology and things mechanical. Uh, you know, some of the coolest effects and most fun effects to perform are those that involve gimmicks and sometimes gimmicks 
uh, involves some sort of technology or a mechanism and something of that nature. So I don't think that's new, and I don't think that's going anywhere. I think it's only going to increase and improve. There's certainly effects that we're working on right now that involve um, technology in, in some way, certainly like iPredict or Rising Card. I think the reality of the matter is that technology is now more than ever a part of people's everyday life it's my phone you know to me is not this is not my phone this is not just like a piece of technology that i use to uh for phone calls like people have an office phone it's like a part of your you know it's an extension of your own brain you know i can communicate with people i can uh find if i don't know something i can google it and i can find out it becomes an extension of self and so on, on that end, I think technology and magic is, has a lot of potential to go deeper than it already has. And I'm inspired seeing uh, new tricks being released on, on iPhones and, and, uh, and guys like Marco Tempest, who's a great friend of ours, uh, he calls himself the Virtual Magician. Uh, I think that's his website, virtualmagician.com. And he does a lot with technology and showing the relationship. He just did a TED Talk about uh, Tesla. Um, Nikola Tesla and uh, at TED, and that was amazing and inspiring too. So, um, long story short, yeah, I think that uh, magic and technology have always gone together in many ways, and they certainly will do more and more of that as technology becomes more a part of our lives and greater technology exists. There's certain things now um, that you know in Robert Houdin's day would have taken a room full of you know mechanisms and processes and stuff to accomplish. Uh, that now you know your iPhone can do, <laughs> or everyone's iPhone can do. So I'm excited to see that and the future of uh, of magic go along those routes, exploring new technology and and mechanisms and stuff like that. Yeah, likewise. So, anyways, I think that wraps up this. I think that's all the time we have uh, to answer your questions uh, tonight. It's uh, around over what 30, 45 minutes now, but. Um, Thank you guys for asking all these questions. We had some amazing questions that were submitted. You definitely made us think. So if that was your goal, mission accomplished. Uh-huh. And uh, hope you guys learned something. Hope everyone was inspired by something we said or hearing a story. That's always our goal doing these things is that you learn something. You take something away that you can apply to your own magic, your own career, your own goals. So uh, thank you once again for participating and all of you guys that asked questions. Uh, we certainly try to get to as many as we possibly could. And we'll definitely do more of these soon. And lastly, uh, thanks to Andre. Um, for Definitely. Thank for, you, guys. Thank you for everything. Yeah, thank you for jumping on this with me and uh, having me help fill the air. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I hope everyone listening to this has a very happy and merry Christmas and happy holidays. If you're listening to this before Monday. Uh, Christmas Eve and uh, thanks again for the support and for participating tonight and we'll see you guys soon. Happy holidays. Take care.